0: Number one, we often rush people into leadership. Now, I know the assumption, and and it's I've seen this. Grew up in the church, third generation, and I can't tell how many times I've heard it. The assumption is, if you give them the job, they'll rise to the occasion. I mean, how many times have you heard this? Happen? You know, even like a deacon, let's just give them the job, and you know, they'll get used to it, and they'll get to know people, and they'll kind of rise to the occasion. The sad thing is a lot of times we put people in roles that they're not equipped for and they're doomed for failure. And if you really fail the first time around, are you likely to get up again? Because the people you're having to coax into doing some kind of ministry tend to be introverted and shy. And so what happens? I mean, that turtle is not going to stick its neck out one more time. So I think what we want to focus on is their own spiritual development to where the Spirit will lead them to do whatever they're going to do. And they may actually volunteer and say, you know, I think I'd be interested in doing that. And of course, you may fall over dead. I didn't think you'd volunteer for anything. But that might get them involved in a, in a willingness to do things, and now it's come from them. And you can kind of encourage them and mentor them uh, all along. And of course, that volunteer is not going to come in a group meeting, Right? It's going to come when you have lunch with them. And you're just talking about something and they say, you know, I've I've always kind of had an interest in that. Really? Yeah, well, and then you start kind of going with it. Rather than just trying to fill a slot, we get rushed in pushing people in to just fill some kind of role or slot, which isn't the best. You remember A is about inner life maturing. B is about inner life maturing plus ministry maturing. Are you with me? I'm going to look at it again in a moment. But one of the differences between A and B is, A is a focus on our own spiritual development, recognizing that I've been redeemed by God, I've been bought with a price. What is the least I can do in response to that? What can I do for God? How can I respond to His grace in in any number of ways? B is about continuing that inner life growth, but adding to it now, how do I serve God? A is about sanctification, so is B. But B is more about extended service. doesn't mean it eliminates it, because a lot of times people will belong before they actually believe. I mean, that's what happened to those who grew up in the church, right? Man, I belonged. I was, everybody knew me, and I knew everybody in church because I was a preacher's kid. <laughs> I belong, but I ended up getting more involved in service. But someone who may not have had that background, they—they just going to have to be motivated by God and the Spirit to be willing to step up and do something. And uh, I think Jeff's a good example of that, just seeing what he's been doing. Then there, and this is a discussion that has more to do than just a public role, like a preacher, a deacon, you know. Those kind of things. This has to do with just our influencing others, including our own children and friends and relatives uh, in Christ. And then it has to do with spiritual influence. I, I struggle with the use of the word leader, as I mentioned earlier this morning. Again, everyone has a copy of the handouts, right? Chris just came in with some more if you need one. I, I think we're good. If you want to pick up one, he'll have them on the table there on the way out. The word, And we're looking at developing leaders. And if I could, I would rather use the word spiritual influence. Because when I exercise spiritual influence, I'm leading. God's using me to influence someone else. So as Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's just saying be a leader. I'm following Christ, so follow me. If I follow Christ and you follow me, we're going to end up in the same place. So it's, it's more about our intentions and purpose and mission in life than it is just some organizational responsibility. But it's bad when we do the organizational roles without following Christ. So we want to have that spiritual basis and foundation for it, and we're responsible uh, for others as we do this. Again, at B, we accept criticism. A, it's kind of hard... And you've probably all had an experience where someone that's new in the faith comes to church and they get criticized by somebody who ought to know better. When they're new in the faith and you just want to go choke them. <laughs> because we've seen this, you know, we've it's been that's that's really frustrating. And then 1 Thessalonians five verse twelve talks about that that responsibility. They're over you in the Lord, they um, You're going to admonish people. I mean, you you take on a different perspective and responsibility as a leader in any area, especially uh, elders would be role-modeling that. So what kind of disciples then does God want? That's another way to ask the research question. And here's the thing I've observed uh, having an opportunity to work with church leaders in Europe, Asia, Africa, and the U.S. And that's in the last ten years. (laughs) Every culture... it it, it has occurred to me every single culture has a way of corrupting what it means to follow and to lead. Every single culture has its own way to corrupt what it means to follow and to lead because of two things. Either the fear of the abuse of authority or the fear of loss of control. Are you with me? For followers, because we're afraid of the abuse of authority, we reject any authority. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Or what right do you have to tell me that? You know how it goes. It's just like little little Johnny telling his big sister, you're not my mama. (laughs) And I'm going to do what I want to do. And the big sister was just trying to keep little Johnny out of trouble. (laughs) And I think that's the role of shepherds in a church. We're just trying to keep our sheep out of trouble. We're protecting the flock. And yet, they're so... In our society, we have such an aversion to abuse of authority. We don't accept any authority. It's the other way around in other countries. When we were, I did a leadership thing for a hundred. There were 120 leaders in Ukraine. This would have been six, seven years after the wall fell, and we had a lot of missionaries in there and churches popping up. And seemed like everybody had been to Ukraine. All kinds of campaigns and churches started. So, about five or six years into it, they asked me to come spend a weekend with church leaders, and I asked a show of hands of how many of them had been Christians for more than five or less than five years. How many had been Christians less than five years? These were all church leaders. There was only about 10% that did not raise their hand. Imagine 90% of those church leaders have been Christians for less than five years in an autocratic, dictatorial, country, in a context where nobody is going to lead. If you even wanted to lead, you wouldn't say anything about it, because of what they call it in Australia, the tall poppy syndrome. When a poppy gets up taller than the rest, they cut it. And if you're in former Soviet Union and you had some leadership potential, you're going to be a threat, out you go. So, no one wanted to express any kind of leadership potential. So, here are these American missionaries go over there, and American Christians go over there and tell everybody to be leaders. Well, it looks like subversion to the government. But that culture corrupted what it meant to lead, as much as our culture corrupts what it means to follow. Are you with me? So, a lot of the problems we have in our own congregations are because we are lousy disciples, we will not follow. And I think this is something that takes mentoring and an awareness. Case in point, ask these questions to yourself. How well do I follow those in authority over me? If you work in a school, you work in a hospital, you work, whatever it is, how well do you follow those in authority over you? How well do you accept the spiritual gifts of others? I don't have time to unpack it, but I'm of the opinion that when I use my spiritual gift, that is my spiritual authority. If you have the gift of generosity, then you need to take the lead for collecting money for the poor saints in Jerusalem and I submit to your authority. If you have the gift of mercy, which on every spiritual gift inventory, you know it's one of those gifts, it always comes out the bottom for me. Which qualified me to teach at graduate school. <laughs> so, if, if you have the gift of mercy and you're my fellow elder, I submit to that authority. If you're saying it, you know, I really believe this is a context where we need to just simply show mercy when I'm wanting to get in there and correct it and fix it, I like Jeff's, I want to fix it. And there's sometimes you're just going to have to show mercy. So, for me, it's got to be a cognitive thing. It's not going to be as natural as some folks who are really going to show mercy. But in all of them, I come up with the gift of teaching. So, if I'm teaching, then you submit to my authority when I teach. But that means that's the only area. I'm not over everything else. But I work hard at that, and I never feel like I've ever done enough. But that's how we, when we use our spiritual gifts, whatever it is, that's our exercising of. Our spiritual authority. So we all have spiritual authority. If you know what your gift is. The problem is, some of you have tried to exercise spiritual authority in areas that's not your gift. And you can really muck up a church. You can really mess it up. We say, well, okay, suppose we don't have enough people that cover all the gifts. And I like Romans 12, because there's a pretty good list of seven. that At least a healthy church ought to have these seven. Where do we get it? From the neighboring church. <laughs> Anywhere you can get it. Because if you know that we've got these gifts... Imagine a church without any, anyone with the gift of generosity. Or anyone with the gift of leadership. Here you've got people leading, but no one really has the gift of leadership. What do you do? Just get mentoring from somebody who's a good leader. I... Uh, Every area, everywhere I'm in the world, there's, there's always people that you, you respect. And three years ago, I mentioned the same name. I'll do the same thing here because it's a great example. But every time I've gone anywhere in Montana, Keith Noyes comes up somewhere. And I keep thinking that it's going to run out. Everybody's getting older. But it's amazing how many people he's influenced. And I know there are many more like that, but you don't have to be an elder to be a Keith Noyes. And I'm sure a lot of his influence was way beyond him just being an elder. Am I right? I'm just using that example since he's not here and we can talk about him. But I love him. Good man. And if he has natural gifts of leader, I'd talk to him. If you don't feel like you've got two elders and neither one of you are really gifted leaders, I'd be in conversation with someone like a Keith Noyes. And say, we're having to decide what would you do? And I assure you, the minute he says, "You know, we had," and he starts telling his stories, and one of them is going to resonate with both of them. you. Go, you know, we just didn't think about that, but that is the right thing to do. And then, boom, the Spirit works through that, and you can do some good leading. And after a while, you develop more skills than that. I think it's true of all those gifts. If you don't have some there, seek it out because a healthy church without any one of those seven. our church will have difficulty being healthy without any one of those seven. And then the consensus of the group. Do you submit to the consensus of the group when it differs from your own opinions? Now, I'm speaking directly to elders on this one, but it applies to members. Because a church can decide, we're going to buy a building across town. And it's going to be hard. You'll never get 100%. And if you get within 85%, I would jump up and down and have a rose parade. If you're in one of our churches. Because there's some people, if it's blue to you, it's green to them. You know, and That's just people. How do you build consensus? It takes time. It takes patience. But part of it is, And this was one of the toughest things I think I struggle with in being an elder with fellow elders is many times i found myself as the odd man out. So do I just shut up and let it go? Or do I speak up at the risk of being the bad guy in the group? Well, you can probably guess which one I did. I'd speak up, but I learned to, I just put it out there, if it, if it takes, it takes, it's not my responsibility, it's going to be collective. And actually, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. I would never take it personal. I just saw things different because of my training and experience than someone typically in the group would see. But then, I didn't want it to always be, well, we can't do anything unless we ask what Hufford thinks. That would be awful. So, you, you, you know, you, it's hard working with consensus, but it has to do with my willingness to follow. Well, I follow my fellow elders. They are still my elders. And then, do I follow any leader? Am I even good following directions? We moved a couple years ago, and I went through some of my stuff. My mother passed on to me, and here was my second grade report card <laughs> at the bottom. He needs to learn to listen and follow directions. I thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't need her, but anyway. Okay, we're going to get into mentoring, and here's the foundation to me of mentoring. When we go to D, here are the three things I think you want to look at at D. This is on page uh, three, maybe. I should have, yeah, well, three, page three. Um, I have found this over the years to be extremely helpful in mentoring when a, a situation comes up and I begin to think, okay, is this an inner life issue? Is it a life maturing issue? Or is it a ministry maturing issue? And sometimes it's all three, which means you won't be able to deal with it on, in the phone call. <laughs> inner life maturing is soul care and walking with God. Inner life maturing is caring for your soul and walking with God. One of my colleagues at MRN does a lot of coaching and he said, he told me this last week, he said, Everett, you'd be surprised how many church leaders I'm talking to, and I ask the question, how's your walk with God? and I get a blank look. And it, it's more they've become more executives running a church than they have been spiritual leaders guiding people spiritually. So if if this just brief discussion raises a red flag for you to say, you know, I'm not praying like you should be doing. I'm not in the word regularly just for my own nurturing. Then I hope I can encourage you to do that and find a partner who you know may have the same issue and you do it together to hold each other, you know, get a buddy system or something. Or even as elders. I think it's sad even to have elders meetings and seldom read the word and if ever, or seldom have other than an opening and closing prayer. Or prayer for the sick. And you realize there's a whole lot more things to pray for than just that, that. And that's certainly valid. That's how we show our love for each other. But I'm hoping after today, you'll start praying for passive members. And praying for specific things to help passive members become active. Just start doing that. But it's soul care, your own soul. You can lead a church and lose your soul. I've seen missionaries who've lost their soul. And elders and preachers and I mean it's there's no guarantee because they have to do the same thing every other disciple of Christ has to do in terms of their relationship to God. And it's really hard to take people where you haven't been. I mean if I've lived in the Middle East nine years and taken more than thirty tour groups, I'm probably a pretty good guy to go with because I've been there before. And it doesn't hurt to speak Arabic. But if, And I've known some people that went with somebody for the very first time who've never been themselves and their, their tour experience wasn't that great because they didn't know how to work with the tour company. They had a guide that just started. <laughs> I mean, they missed out on a lot of things because they didn't have someone been there. How much is your church missing out because of your own lack of inner walking with God? How are you guiding your own people? As a shepherd, you're the guide. Are you taking people where you've been before, or have you never been there? Life maturing, and this is the one that's probably the most obvious reason we appoint people as elders, and why we actually use the word elder, is we assume that these are the oldest, most mature people in our community that have had life experiences, have had children, they've been married a while, they've worked, they've, you know, all of these kind of things that anybody would get. Living in any community, but it has to do with working well with people. Mature people work well with people, and they're dependable. And there's—I have about thirteen characteristics of life maturing I cover, but these are kind of two big general ones. The third area is ministry maturing. That is, you number one, you know, you serve God, not people, which means whether people like it or not, you're more concerned whether God likes it or not. Are you going to be faithful with the gifts God has given you and what He's called you to do? And are you using your gift mix? I've thrown in a new word here. I have been talking about spiritual gifts. Now I'm talking about gift mix. There's not a one of you here that has one spiritual gift. I'm absolutely sure. Not a one of you has one spiritual gift. You have a cluster of gifts. That's why it's so easy for you to say yes to everything. In fact, that's why it's so hard for you to say no, because you're gifted and you know you'll do it better than anybody else. Or you've already concluded, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Okay. Everybody's heard that. Everybody's felt that. Everybody's said that. That's because you have a gift mix. But I'm hopefully now to use this gift mix, not just doing the ministry itself, but using that to mentor others to do it. Because you've got a broad range of experiences and gifts and typically a passive member is only working on one at a time. You can just help them do one thing and do it well and you want to make sure they succeed. That they're effective in what they're doing. You're going to cover for them. You're going to defend them. You're going to coach them. Whatever it is. You want them to succeed as much as I did the second grade basketball team that I coached that lost every game. All right. All right back to leader loop now those are three areas to grow in so we're looking at leader loop here's some other insights any one of us can be at any point at any time now think about this you're an elder you can be at any one of these points at any time there are some areas and ministries in the church you're a passive member right you're just there to give moral support you're not there to be in charge you're just a passive member You might pray for them, encourage them, but you're passive. There's others that you're an active, involved member. And there's still other ministries you're leading. We can be at any of those at any time. But hopefully I'm moving you toward D. That if you could spend more time with less people, we'd have more leaders in the future. If you spend more time mentoring at A and B, I can't imagine what the next generation of church leaders would be like because that's what this generation missed. This generation. It's interesting that two generations back, almost everything was learned by mentoring. This is before universities took over. You developed skills from someone who was skilled, like Jesus became a carpenter from Joseph. You learned the skills. And typically, you had your family business. So as a kid, you knew the skills of that family, so you learned it. So when we went into um, mainly enlightenment, education and all that, it took that away. And now it's interesting how much, and I appreciate Dan mentioned it, how mentoring now is being used in business. How important that is. If you want to upgrade a family business and go where you've never been before, you probably need some people to help mentor you in that. And that's true also in the church. A leader in some area does not make... One a leader in every area of the church. Well, I have seen elders violate this one. Awful. Just because you're an elder doesn't mean you're in charge of every single thing in that church. In fact, the things that you get involved in, you probably mess up. It's not good. That is not what you were called to do. There, there is. I don't see any directives in Scripture (laughs) that you're over everything and responsible for everything. In fact, that's why you should be married. In our house, I'm not over everything, and it's a good thing. It's a real good thing. We have we complement each other. We work together, and there's some things I just better not put my nose into it. And when I do, I'm you know I know that. So as an elder, I need to remember I'm still a sheep. I'm always a sheep, and we follow each other. Is that hard? Yes, when I don't agree with three out of four of them. But we still follow them. Our spiritual gifts define where and when we lead. Our spiritual gifts, and I've already said some things about that. Now, I want you to do a little reflection. How will maturing in each of these areas make me a better follower? Because I'm still concerned that as elders and spouses and church leaders, you first keep... Remember, you still have to be a good follower. How would how would you need to mature in any one of these areas? And what aspect of maturity do I need more growth in? And how do I do that? You probably haven't been asked that question in a few years, so I'm, I brought a tool to help you. So pull out the one sheet, the one sheet checklist. There's a, a pretty good book by Malfers that. Uh, I have used as a textbook in spiritual leadership, sorry, by Henry and and, uh, Richard Blackaby, it's called Spiritual Leadership. Uh, This is Baptist uh, 2011. And students who have no ministry experience hate this book. (laughs) Students who have some ministry, and and Matt really helped confirm it today, students who have struggled in ministry, this was an eye-opener. You know, so it's a matter of if you're just going to pass tests and you just come from undergrad and, you know, like it just goes boom. But if you've been in ministry and had some hard knocks, okay, you get this. So I thought, okay, let me put this in a different format. And what I did is made a leadership competency checklist and I only took about 80 pages of the book. I pulled out 80 pages and went through it and just made a checklist. So the page numbers are the pages in the book that expand that, all right? So here's what you're going to do. Um, I'm going to walk down through them quickly. And you assess, do your own. Cover it up if your spouse is looking. No. Just do your own. And with each one of them, never, seldom, or always. All right. You just respond to it. Never, seldom, or always. And I'm pretty sure this is going to surface some areas you want to grow in. Alright, here we go. I can effectively communicate a vision. This is certainly as a church leader. I can effectively communicate a vision. Never, seldom, always put a circle uh, anywhere from zero to five. I work well with people and do not have to do all the thinking for the group. I work well with people. don't have to do all the thinking or control the group. Number three, I can take people... From where they are to where God wants them to be. And this, is some pretty, this really is a good point in shepherding. Taking people where they are and helping them be where God wants them to be. Zero to five. Just put your own, the way you see yourself. Number four, I have skills to develop other leaders and become dispensable. This is key to the curve. We're going to talk about the curve. If you feel like you can't you're indispensable, this curve's never gonna you're never gonna make the curve. But if I feel like I can be dispensable, I can delegate well, I can give people freedom to fail, I recognize others' success, encouragement, then there's some hope on the curve. So mark either zero to five on that one. I value honoring God more than personal or organizational success. And I'll tell you what, all of you as elders know this. You've had to make decisions. And it's, it's ugly, and it's gonna, you're going to look bad as a church, but it's what God's called you to do. You're going to have to deal with the tough stuff. And some, if you take institutional pride or church pride or whatever and just ignore it and sweep it under the rug, it's not a good thing. God will not be honored and it will come back to haunt you. Just ask the Catholic church. I do not depend on position, power, or personality to get what I want from people. This, one's a, this is inner life development. I do not depend on position, power, or personality. Like I try to schmooze my way through it, or I pull out my elder trump card, that because I'm an elder, you've got to do what I tell you to do. I don't do that, use that to get people to do what I think they need to do. I teach, I encourage, I equip, whatever. God has affirmed my leadership by vindicating my reputation and transforming lives around me. Are you spiritually mature enough to let God fight some of your battles for you, or do you feel like you have to defend yourself every time you're criticized? I tell you, this is a dark hole minion eldership falls into. Because when they get into a group, and the church, you know, the elders are being criticized, rumors, or whatever it is, they want to come out with an announcement the next Sunday. And what happens is, you create a bigger problem, right? And so inner life maturing is basically, and ministry maturing is both saying, you know, I'm going to let God affirm my leadership. That's what Moses did. You remember when he fell on his face in Korah's rebellion? And God took care of it. God, God takes care of rebellions. It, that's really not our area to do. We're, we're called to be faithful and serve. And let, so if you have a one to five there, it's fine. It's just identify. It's an area you've got to work on. It's a hard one. This is a really hard one. And then I have been able to move people to become more involved in God's agenda. I've been able to help people move along, whether it's through evangelism and them becoming disciples of Christ or moving them from passive to active followers. You actually can give names of people that you've been able to do that with. God's used you in their life. If, If that's happened, circle of five. Number nine, my behaviors are consistent in different circumstances. Followers know what to expect from me. If it's if you're just pretty much the same, then put a five there. If sometimes you're you're this in this situation, but different in another context, and they don't know what to expect from you, I'd put a two or three. This is important for leadership, right? It's hard. That's why many creative men who are good men are not appointed as elders. They're so creative. You never know where they're going to be tomorrow. It's hard to follow people that are here today and there tomorrow. And then once you try to get on board where they are and there's some creative idea, they've already changed their mind and moved on. You said, well, you didn't give us time to... (laughs) They're hard to follow. Ten, I have a successful track record of faithfulness in the assignments God has given me. You've been faithful in little. God has given you much. Number eleven, I am learning new things and preparing myself to be a better leader. If you read a book a year on leadership, you attend this, whatever it is, those are good signs of your wanting to learn and continue to be a better leader. I have a healthy awareness of my strengths and weaknesses. People don't have to convince me of my inadequacies. Dr. Gupton gave you some great resources this morning. That's what that's for right here so that you can know yourself. It's It's never effective for a young preacher to try to correct an older elder when the elder is wrong. I've told everyone that's tried, don't go down that road. It will not end well. Just don't go there. But the other side of it is, if you're that old elder, you have a responsibility of knowing yourself well enough that you can say, you know, I thought about last week's meeting and young man, I was wrong boy, that increases spiritual influence and certainly relieves a lot of tension and probably even helps his his, his indigestion. (laughs) I have courage to do the right thing even when it will be difficult and painful. I've seen a lot of elders who had the right idea but no courage to execute it. They knew what needed to be done and you can have four men who are good men, but somehow they get in I mean out here they're even cur- But when they get in this group, they lose their courage and the will to do the right thing. Number fourteen, I have been able to lead others in ministry and help them become more involved. This is A. I've been able to do A or B, help people become more involved in ministry. And number five, uh, fifteen, I have demonstrated that I am willing to make personal sacrifices for the church. This is what I appreciated in the first hour. Just telling you, I appreciate the sacrifices all you made, even to be here this weekend. This is not an easy weekend. I was exhausted last night, and I told Eileen, that was only a half a day. I don't know, And I didn't do anything yesterday, and today I'm working. You know, it's, uh, that's something. At 16, I am known to truly care for the people that I serve with and those that I lead. Everybody around me, my fellow elders know that they're in the hospital of child's home. I'm there with them. I care for the people I serve with as well as those that I lead. Sixteen, just Sixteen. You're probably glad I only took 80 pages out of this book. That was enough of a sample, right? Would you agree? There's got to be an ouch in there somewhere to sort of say, hmm, I need to work on this. But this to me is extremely practical if you want to do more shepherding and do D. You cannot get to D without doing well in D. So you can do your own scores. You don't have to do it right now. We don't have time. But uh, here's what it looks like if you had you know, zeros. You, got, you had a couple of ones, a couple of twos, a three, or two threes, and then twelve and four. You know, it adds up. Let's say you had sixty-two. By the way, I took, I've done this two or three times. I did it last night. I had a 68. Make you feel better. I'm just guessing. This is just something I created. If you have less than 31, you really need more preparation before you lead. You're not ready. Even if they cannot find any reason from Titus and Timothy for you to be, not be an elder, you know, I would still say you don't have the other positive things you need that's not on that list. If you have a 32 to 47, I think it's adequate. You've got some competencies to lead and just start with humility. That's a great place. If you're in your 40s, 50s, probably you're going to do pretty well in this. But if you've got above a 48, to me that's a good base to lead others and to mentor others to lead. So what are you doing with your above 48 score? I mean, it won't get you through the pearly gates any better than the rest of us. So what are you doing with it? Are you using this to help others and pass that on? Chances are you're above 48 because someone is invested in you. And I bet it's a lot of somebodies that have invested in you to get these points. They just didn't put it out on a clean one sheet. But am I right? When you start thinking about those things, and you can think of people who did these so well, but they didn't give you notes on it. Back to my main question. How do passive members become active And active members become leaders. How do we move people along in this journey? How do we get to D? And that's what I want to end up with in my last few minutes. These are the three things I would look at that are basis for whatever you do in mentoring anyone. When a crisis comes up or when you're just mentoring somebody new in ministry, if you're only mentoring them in ministry, you're really just a coach. Coaching is for skills. Think of a basketball coach, football coach, soccer coach. Aren't they mainly focusing on skills? But what good coach ignores life maturing? Tell me. How many guys, I mean, it's interesting to me how many guys will say, my coach changed my life. And it's not because I could dribble the ball better. Because when I had drama in my life, he helped me grow up and be a man. Are you with me? So even a good coach addresses life maturing issues. And I've known some good Christian coaches that address inner life maturing. And I've appreciated some of the coaches that I know at Harding University that have done this. They don't ignore the inner life development. They're not just trying to win ball games. They're also trying to win souls and help people along. So if that's what a good coach does, what does a good elder do? Are you coaching people in skills to preach and lead and, you know, and teach, whatever it is? But you want them to grow up too and be mature people. Quit the yeah, 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 and learn how to manage conflict and all that kind of thing. But you want them to walk with God. Those are the three areas that have really helped me at least give some kind of format when I have a discussion. I get a call from a student I had 20 years ago and says, I got a problem. And I'm starting to of think, okay, is this a ministry problem? Is it a spiritual problem? Of course, they all know me well enough, I shoot pretty straight. So don't call me if you don't want the truth. But I love you and we're going to work through this. So now the question I ask, and it's one that I started with too, is what is there beyond being an elder? Beyond leading? What's next beyond leading? And this is the curve. This is the curve. Um, I understand when, such in smaller churches... When you, many times you've had sleepless nights, you've done everything to keep the wheels on the wagon, and still you've had a, 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 you've lost a wheel, and you've been through thick and thin while you're exhausted, and you cannot handle one more crisis. And you go into and many elders have done this they go into crisis management, and then it locks in permanently to crisis management. And have you've seen that? And they never can get out of it. And as a result, they micromanage. They actually do more managing than they do leading. And as a result, those, those churches have a hard time growing. The, I mean, we don't have as developed a doctrine of the Holy Spirit as we need, but I know one thing we all agree with. Does the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit micromanage any one of us? I mean, isn't that some of our issue with Pentecostal doctrine? As if the Spirit did this and this, and I'm thinking, "Eh, I'm not sure if that came from the Spirit. But the Spirit leads. And we're told in Galatians, we're to follow the Spirit in the way it leads. So how did the Spirit lead you? Is that not how you might ought to learn to lead others? And sometimes we're going to have to trust things to God, and it's not again, this curve is really hard to take. And then there are those who take it too quick and it's, that's not a good thing either. I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 5 as a case in point. And this is the one thing that uh, I want to kind of end on because it has something to do with mentoring. Mentoring is extremely humbling for a lot of reasons. If you're mentoring someone, you're going to be transparent. You're going to share with them your failures. And we typically are more into marketing our strengths. But when you think about what Paul wrote Timothy, and he actually wrote it, I wouldn't have written it. I, would, I wouldn't have even texted it. I might have said it on the phone, but there's no way I would have recorded it for all eternity to know. I am the worst of sinners. And I don't. Th- he wasn't joking. He remembered the Saul of Tarsus, who was mean to people of the way. He knew that was ungodly behavior. And he wasn't proud of it, but neither did he ignore it. He was open and honest with his own mistakes and failures with someone he was mentoring. But he was willing to write it. That, that's, you know, that's something to me. How transparent he was with his own failures. And if we're going to mentor someone, we're going to have to be that way. So here is Peter, and he says, remember chapter 5 is about elders? Again, I don't have time to deal with the text, but I assume you know it, but it's, it's about eldering. So he says to fellow elders. He's talking to us as fellow elders. Don't be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. Uh, dot, dot, being examples. Clothe yourselves, all of you. He had just said young, uh, the young respect and submit to the elders and so on. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. When I think of all the church leaders around the U.S. and the world that I've been able to know, here is one truth that stood out to me as I was thinking about this. Everywhere there's been church problems, and some man or woman is a problem to the church, and Potential splits and all this kind of stuff. I have never met a humble person that was a problem to a church. I have never met a humble man or woman of God that was a source of conflict and problem to a church. So I think when we look at this, he's telling us to be examples to the flock. What do you think the example is he's wanting? It's not just example of sound doctrine. It's not just that's part of it. It's not just example of wisdom and everything else. He says, I mean, it's all over. How can you miss it? I've highlighted just to help. He didn't have highlighter in those days or PowerPoint. But it's humility, humility, humble yourselves, and no one can do it for you. Even though I've tried to humble people, that didn't work. (laughs) We have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exhaust us. So let me give you an example, as a specific, concrete example as it relates to being an elder. Three statements. Tell me which one of these you think is the most spiritual of the three statements. He decided to step down from being an elder. Something changed when he became an elder. Or number C, he resigned as an elder, but continued to serve just think about it a minute and we'll just kind of take a poll. Of these three statements, which do you think is the most spiritual statement of, of reference to somebody that of the three you would like said of you? And would have to do with your influence. How many would say A? Okay. How many would say B? How many would say C? Okay. I realized I didn't interpret these much. It's just standing out there. So let me unpack it. Where in scriptures do you step up to be an elder? Where did we get that? Our language is betraying us and really hurting us. It is not a matter of pride. If we take pride in anything, it's in the Lord. So it's not. I mean, it's one of the most humbling things I've ever done to be appointed as an elder. But I never stepped down from being an elder. I fe- Maybe I stepped down to be an elder. In fact, someone told me I might have more influence if I wasn't an elder. <laughs> no, I stepped over, I stepped out of the eldership, but I would not look at it as up and down. I stepped out of this role of ministry, just like I stepped off of the missions committee. I stepped out of the pulpit. There's nothing up and down if we are all one in Christ. Am I, if, if we could purge that language, we'd make some progress. Because I think some men feel like they're abandoning the church by stepping down as an elder. When sometimes it needs to happen for a whole lot of reasons. And then something changed when it became. How many elders have you known? Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. We thought we knew him, and then when he became an elder, he became domineering, he became hard to get along with. It's like, what just happened? It's scary. I would like to think we're so consistent. Whether we're an elder or not, we're a man of God. Are you with me on that one? The last one. He resigned, but continued to serve. This leads me to D. There is something beyond being an elder that's even better than being an elder, and that's mentoring others in A and B. I'm gonna. I'm making the case today that you have not reached the pinnacle of service in the kingdom of God as an elder or an apostle or an evangelist or whatever. I think we reach it in reproducing the kingdom of God. All right. Let me go one step further. Right. This is going to be a little... Just bear with me, all right? Remember, mercy is down here. Here's one more question. D. D. He was not selected as an elder, but he continued to serve faithfully. Anytime I'm a part of an elder selection process, I try to persuade people to ask the couple when you talk to them, because their name has come up, if they're willing to be an elder. But if something happens, whatever, in the process, and they're not appointed, what would they do? And I imagine all of you may know of at least one situation When they weren't appointed, they got mad and left. Or they became a sabotage to any of the elders, anything that was ever done. How many have seen that? Okay, 50% of you. It's not pretty when that happens. And when it happens, it's basically saying there is a lack of inner life maturing when that takes place, as well as ministry maturing. If I'm not appointed as an elder in a congregation, there could be a lot of reasons for it. It may be that I just haven't been there long enough for them to trust me. Because I am kind of weird. It may mean that, I mean, there could be a whole lot of reasons. But it doesn't mean I can't keep serving. To think that that's the only way I can serve? Really? Is that really the only? As if your only gift is being an elder. Elder. When that's just a use of other gifts, so if you really knew what your spiritual gift was, whether you're an elder or not, are you going to keep using it? Or were you the spouse of an elder? Or if you never are an elder, what difference is that going to make? These are the kind of disciples God wants. Anyone could be at any point at any time on this. Again, whether you're an elder or not. A leader in some area does not make one a leader in every area, and our spiritual gifts are very important. So just keep this in mind in these three areas when you're looking at mentoring. And if I've enticed you, encouraged you, persuaded you to see the value of D, even as you don't have to step out of the eldership to be a D, I really think half of what we do in shepherding should be D. And if by God's grace you have time to do it more, and others can do the oversight of the congregation, then maybe move out of the eldership and just just spend your time shepherding others. Because that's the ground. That's the fertile soil for future leaders in the church through that kind of relationship. A summary. A is a lot of inner life development. B is ministry maturing. And notice as we get further up, the stress goes up and we have to be strategic and intentional about it. And this involves a lot of things like focus on people, uh, focus on character, particularly in inner life maturing as you become a leader. It has to do with your styles of leadership. Uh, Gupt, Dr. Gupton gave you some good examples of that. There was one of those, one of those um, inventories that has to do with different styles of leadership. And generally, for mentoring, you need to be in the middle zone. More the father, th- these are styles attributed to Paul. Paul was every one of these. Sometimes he was very directive, sometimes he was non directive. Just read, his, read the letters of Paul. But the mentoring, typically to Timothy and Titus, was in this middle range like a father, or with Onesimus, there was spiritual obligation. Now, you owe this to me. There was maturity, appeal, imitator, nurse, that kind of thing. Now with C. Here are the issues at C. And see, this is why the curve is so tough. The curve requires maturity in all three areas. You have to be really spiritually mature to make that curve and not feel like you're stepping down or stepping away or whatever. You also have to be ministry mature and savvy to say, you know, I need to spend more time helping people grow internally, spiritually, and motivate them and encourage them along the way. And it's also life maturing. It isn't all about you. If the church is all about you, you know, there's only one head, as far as I know, and that's Christ. And the rest of us are servants. It's uh, We have to learn then, and, and here's why this curve is important, because most of you and elders spend nearly all your time on urgent and never get to the important. Only urgent. Only urgent. Connecting people to mission, keeping priorities, increased complexity, and... Matthew 20 and Acts 20 are two good places to go. This is a quote from Bob Beale in his book on mentoring. And he basically says, mentoring is the linchpin of any organization, especially the church. For the, for the development of leadership within the church and the health of the church, that linchpin... Surely you've all had a tractor and a trailer that has that pin you pull. <laughs> that linchpin is in fact mentoring. Not just more information. And helping people with their struggles... And knowing their strengths, uh, I refer you to a book by uh, Stanley and Clinton called "Connecting," and it deals with these different areas of mentoring. There's intensive mentoring, occasional mentoring, and passive mentoring. Passive mentoring is reading a biography of somebody or watching somebody you don't really know them, but you you, you just kind of you, you gain from their life. It happens in in some of your families if you've had an uncle or a grandfather who was a well-known preacher, missionary. Just his life experiences influenced your life. That's indirect mentoring. Intensive mentoring is either becoming a disciple of Christ, spiritual guide, or coaching for specific skills. Barnabas is a great example. If you just look in Acts chapter 11 through 13, how many times and what? The relationship Barnabas had with Paul—he was an incredible mentor. He's—he's kind of the role model of mentoring, which did Paul a lot of good. Just think—if talk about the linchpin—if you take Barnabas out of Acts, how many letters would you miss in the New Testament? If he had not gone to Tarsus and redeemed Saul of Tarsus and brought him back to Antioch, and then boom, here he goes. There's about half the New Testament you'd miss. And then Luke wouldn't have anybody to travel with, so that takes Acts out. We'd be left with the Gospels. That linchpin was incredible. Baseline for mentors, you know God called them to serve. If you're a mentor, you know God has called you to serve. It may be serving three people, but two of them are a Barnabas and a son of Saul. That's it. That'd be great. You take responsibility for the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters. You're disciples of Christ that use your gifts. You submit to Christ and using those spiritual gifts. And here's five competencies for a mentor. And I'm going to end with this. I've I'm, I'm gone over. I need to end right now. It's in Clinton in connecting. I just just look at you. You can get that, or we can give it to you later. I don't think I had this in the handouts. I've added that. All right, make the curve at D. This is really mentoring, maturing. I like this quote from Crosby. Mentoring is a brain to pick a shoulder to cry on, and a kick in the pants when you need it. (laughs) Who are you mentoring in your church? Identify them. Typically, they may be passive members. Know them by name. Pray for them specifically. And hope that the Lord will open doors for you to serve them and that you will all be better mentors and that you will follow Jesus. Thank you. I ran out of time. for 1 and